Sorry, Miss Teresa. My greatest fear is to be singing and not be on mute. But anyway, so I end up muting myself half the time. I'm sure that's y'all's greatest fear, too. If you heard me sing, you would understand. But uh, anyways, uh, be opening up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, as we continue walking through uh, Luke's gospel to us, as uh, we continue talking about what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to be in uh, verses 25, uh, really through the end of the chapter. I know I think I have through 42 on there. Uh, well, yeah, that's through the end of the chapter. That's right. That's, that's what I meant. So anyway, Luke chapter 10, as you turn in there, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, I love my wife. I talk about her quite often, and she's not in here right now, so I, I can say that. And y'all know I'm saying it not just to get points, but we have a lot of fun. We uh, discuss a lot of things, and she teaches me a lot of things. This past week, uh, Friday, Friday's my, my day uh, home, my day that I usually try and work on my sermon, try and prepare my mind and my heart for this morning. And so she knows that that also means that I'm not here at the church, I'm not in the office, and I'm typically pretty free. So if she forgets something, she can text me, and I will bring it to her sometimes. So anyway, I got one of those texts. I got a text with a picture of some uh, Valentine's decorations. It's Valentine's season. It's coming up in case uh, that's a freebie there, guys, heads up. But she sent me a, a text of some Valentine's decorations, and she said, if you happen to be out and you run by the dollar store, would you pick some of these up? And I was like, okay. And then she said, and also I need this. I need some zip ties. And oh, by the way, if you happen to be out, no big deal, but I also need these monster things. And so she just kept going and she kept adding lists. And I was like, oh, this is not if I happen to be out. This is, hey, go get this and bring it to me. And so it, anyway, but I, I picked up on it. I, I'm learning by the way, pictures are nice. Ladies, if you want us to remember something, a picture is worth a thousand words. Let's be honest. Send me a picture. And so she did. She sent me a picture. I see what she wants me to get. And so uh, uh, Dollar General is on the way to the school, which is where she's at. And so I'm taking it to her. And I go in Dollar General. And she told me, she said, now, what I want is on the very first uh, aisle that you walk in. You'll see it as soon as you walk in. No big deal. You'll find it. So I walk in, and I see this aisle, and it has a little bit of Valentine's decorations. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at them, and I'm looking at the picture, and I'm looking at them, and I'm looking at the picture, and I don't see them anywhere. And so I stand there for a good ten minutes, and you can just imagine some random dude standing there looking at Valentine's decorations. They have, like, five options. And this lady was like, can I help you? You know, like, you doofus, what are you doing? And so anyway, I walk around the store a few times. I text her. I, I go so far as to take pictures of the entire aisle. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And the text doesn't go through at bad service. So I'm like, I, I'm going to get a, a variety and she can pick. So I do. And I take it to the school. And I drop it off. And I text her and say, hey, your stuff's in the office. And she texts me back and she says, these are really great, sweetheart, but there's a big difference between Dollar General and Dollar Tree. Apparently, I didn't read the whole text. All I saw was Dollar, and I assumed Dollar General because it's close. Dollar Tree's like all the way across town. You think I'm... Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, for Valentine's decorations. And so, anyway, I, I didn't pay close attention, and so I end up standing looking like a, a moron for like 30 minutes in Dollar General. I looked through every single Valentine decoration they had, all because I didn't read the whole text. She's like, yeah, I figured you didn't read the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, that's sort of me. Well, it's one thing when your wife sends you a text. <laughs> Actually, it's pretty important to read the whole text then, too. But it's even more important 
when we come to God's Word. And so when we, we're going to look at verse 30, beginning in verse 30 this morning of Luke 10. We're going to see what happens uh, when we don't read the whole text. And so when we don't pay attention to everything that the Lord says. And so verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, if we were to look at this passage and look just at this one story, maybe one of the most famous stories out of all the Bible, what we hear is, okay, let's go be neighborly and we can get into heaven. Let's go be neighborly and we can please the Lord. Like State Farm, watch out. You know, like a good neighbor, Christians are there. We're going to be good neighbors wherever we go and we're going to earn God's favor. We're going to earn God's pleasure on us. The problem is, is that's not Jesus' main point. We are to be neighborly and we'll get to that here in a minute. But if we go back and we look at the rest of the text, you'll see that there's more to this story than simply being a good neighbor. You see, following Jesus, becoming a disciple, being a Christian is about more than just helping others. It's, uh, to, to put it just as plain as I can, it's to be focused on Jesus. Like, that's our primary goal as believers, is to focus on Jesus. That sounds too simple, doesn't it? Like, that's what you say every week. That's because that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's focusing on Jesus, pulling uh, our focus back on Him. I hope that as we gather weekly, either on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever we gather as a church family, that we are doing everything we can to help each other put our focus back on Him, back on the person who we are following. And so if we back up in the text a little bit, and uh, I'm going to look at verses 17 through 20 here, uh, listen to the, these words. Uh, well, before I get there, let me tell you what's going on. The first part of Luke chapter 10 is Jesus sending the disciples out. He sends out 72 instead of 12. This time when he sends them out, he says, go out and you're going to, be, you're, you're going to have power over uh, demons. You're going to be able to heal people. You're going to be able to do these amazing things. And so he tells these 72 men, go out and do this. They go out and do it. And so then they returned in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so if we hold up right there, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Can you imagine how exciting it would be to be a guy who grew up as a, as a fisherman? Nobody ever listens to you. Nobody ever really pays you much mind. The Romans push you around. The religious leaders push you around. Everybody's always pushing you around, telling you what to do. You start following Jesus. Jesus sends you out and you go out and you tell demons, get out of those people and they listen to you. Like they come back to Jesus and they say, Lord, even the demons have to do what we tell them to do in your name. Can you imagine the exciting moment that must have been? Like it, it doesn't get much more fun than that. Like seeing God work through you, like literally seeing him uh, cast Satan out simply by speaking the name of Jesus and commanding these demons in the name of Jesus. And so they're excited. But Jesus' response in verse 18 is this. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there when Satan got evicted, boys. I was there uh, when Satan was kicked out. I was there. I am, listen to verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Hear what Jesus is saying to them. Guys, it's no surprise that when you tell Satan demons to do uh, what uh, I've commanded you to do, they listen because I'm the boss. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, since you follow me, since you're acting on my authority, the demons have to obey you because I'm the one who calls the shots. I've given you this authority. I have given you the ability to do this. This is not the case for us necessarily, not in the same way anyway. This was a, a special time in the in the history of the church, special time in these people's lives, when Jesus sends them out again later at the end of Luke's gospel, he tells them, this time you better take a sword and those sorts of things. But for this time, Jesus says, listen, I'm the boss. I'm the one who's in control. I am greater than anyone who might come against you. I'm greater than any of your enemies. And so he says, I have given you authority. But then look at verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So you hear their misunderstanding. They're thinking that demons being subject to them is the payoff. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the payoff. That's not the benefit. That's not the point. The point is, is that your names are written in heaven. The greatest thing that God has given us, the greatest thing that Jesus has given us is eternity with him. The greatest gift he has provided for us is not uh, the stuff around us or victory over this enemy or that enemy. It's the fact we get to spend eternity with him. Like this never ends. He's like, guys, don't be so excited over the here and now that you miss the point. The point is eternal life with Jesus. The point is eternal life with the one who made all things. Now, on the one hand, we do need to remember who we serve. John tells us that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Some of us are getting kicked around a little bit. Some of us are getting beat up. You need to be reminded that he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. You need to take your concerns to the one who's the greatest, the true high king of heaven, as we sang about just a little bit ago. The one who calls the shots, the one who writes the end from the beginning, the one who saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But even as he gives us victory, even as he delivers us, even as we walk on spiritual mountaintops from time to time, That's nothing compared to what he has prepared for us. That's nothing compared to the fact that our names, those who are following Christ, our names are written in heaven. This is where we're headed. This is where we're going, a place where we no longer have to face the things that we face here. And so Jesus says, it's no big deal. I'm the boss. Of course they're going to listen to you. I sent you out, didn't I? I'm the one who gave you authority, didn't I? I'm greater than any of your enemies. And so then we come to verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it 
And so what is Jesus talking about here? What he is saying is, is God's listen. God has given you something that lots of other people would have loved to have, but only you get. This first part here where he's praising God and he's praising the Father, he says that you hid these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. He's speaking about his disciples. Are his disciples kids? No. They're not kids. That's not what Jesus' point is. Jesus' point is that the, the wise and understanding of the day, the religious leaders of the day, the people that everybody looked up to and respected were missing it while the people who nobody respected and nobody looked up to were getting it. Jesus is saying, thank you, God, for showing your grace uh, to us in revealing these things to children, not based on what their understanding is, not based on who they are, but based on your grace. See, this, this is what it comes down to. That these disciples, they are not the best and brightest of their generation. The best and brightest of their generation were studying with the scribes and Pharisees. There are people like the Apostle Paul that we read about later on where he studied under Gamaliel and, you know, it's this great honor to follow these, uh, these leaders and these teachers and to learn from them. Well, who gets to do that? The best and the brightest. The people who have connections. The people who have potential. What does everybody else do? They go become fishermen. They don't have a teacher or a leader to follow. These are the guys, the disciples that are following Jesus are the guys who get picked last at recess. I struggled with this growing up. I was never picked first for any athletic event. Y'all can judge me all you want. I'm proud and confident in who I am. I don't hold it against anyone anymore, kind of. But, but you know how there was always those last guys that, that got picked because you're like, eh, maybe you can get seven fouls or something like that. I mean, that's, there's really nothing else that you can do unless you know the other captain and, and they pick you because you're friends. That was me. Like I was usually next to last or so. That's who these disciples are. Everybody else has passed over them. But Jesus chose them. God chose to reveal himself, reveal the kingdom of God to them. What's he saying? There's, there's no doubt that these guys were not chosen based on their merits. Later when they're standing in front of the religious leaders, they're amazed. They're like, these boys ain't even been to seminary. How do they know all this stuff? The answer is, it's because Christ revealed them to them. Revealed these things to them because of his grace and because of his love, not because of anything in them, not because they deserved it. Sometimes we, I think we get in the mindset of thinking that, that following Jesus is about being better or smarter or stronger or something like that, but it's not. God's following Jesus is about following Jesus, focusing on him. We are, God, God does not save us because he looks at us and says, oh, there's just something so special in him. There's something so amazing in him. No, God looks at us and says, there is nothing in them that would make me love them other than the fact that I love them. You're like, man, that hurts my self-esteem. That hurts my feelings. Well, good. Get over yourself. God is not saving us based on who we are. He's saving us based on who he is. And, and as long as we keep thinking that we can somehow earn it, somehow deserve it, we're going to miss it. Everybody else around Jesus was missing it because they believed they could earn it. They believed they could deserve it. These guys knew they didn't. They'd already been rejected. They'd already been cast aside. But Jesus receives them and accepts them, not because of who they are, but because of who he is. He reveals his kingdom to them. And so you're there this morning and you're thinking, I, I can never be a Christian. I can't understand the Bible. These guys weren't exactly the smartest people either. 
That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that Christ in his grace and in his love has chosen to redeem us. And so, so Jesus assembles this core group from a bunch of guys who nobody else really wanted. And he loves them and he shows them and he reveals himself to them. So then we come to verse 25, which is where I was trying to get to. So verse 25. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke puts this together so that we see that as Jesus is saying, Thank you, Father, for revealing these things, not to the smart people, not to the learned people, but to children. Right in the middle of it, a lawyer stands up. A lawyer would have been a guy who was an expert in the law. Well, for God's people, for the Jewish people, what is the law? God's Word. So he's an expert in God's Word. He's an expert in revealing God's Word, interpreting God's Word. He gets God's Word. He's a smart guy. He has his credentials. And so he stands up, which is a symbol of respect. So I respect you. But the whole time he's standing, he's trying to test him. He says that Luke tells us that he's putting him to the test. And so he asks Jesus a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? How do I become good enough to deserve eternal life? How do I do enough so that God will receive me? That's his question of Jesus. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 26 with, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You've got to love Jesus. Jesus has a way of responding to people that just makes you smile. So this guy says, how can I get eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, what's the Bible say? You're an expert. What do you think? What does it, what does it sound like? And so he asks a question to answer his question. So he says, you know, Mr. Lawyer, sir, what do you think? And so the guy answers in verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so this man's response to Jesus is, well, I think you ought to love God with all that you are. Love God with all of your heart. So every, every emotional impulse, every desire that you point it towards serving the Lord, your strength and your soul, that you give all of your efforts to Him. Give Him your whole mind. Don't let anything else crowd it out. You focus your mind on Him, of knowing more of Him, of thinking of Him, of loving Him. That's your focus in life. The man says that's one part. And the second part is love your neighbor as yourself. And so you love your neighbor the way that you love you. So if you're hungry, what do you do? Well, you put food in your mouth. So if your neighbor's hungry, what do you do? Well, you put food in his mouth. Not literally, right? You give him food. You don't force it in. Don't do that. But so this guy says, well, you love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus' answer, (laughs) verse 28, and he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus' response to him is, yep, sounds good, go do that. You're right, buddy, you're on the right track. Just go and you love God with all that you are, and you love your neighbor as much as you love you. No problem, right? So this, this guy, he's misunderstanding the gospel, he's misunderstanding Christ, he's misunderstanding God altogether. He thinks that he can somehow earn it, verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wants a definition. He wants Jesus to get specific. He wants Jesus to draw a very clear box for him to check, to make sure that he can stay within that box, 
to make sure that he can prove whether or not he's checked that box, to be able to compare it to other people's box and see how well they checked that box. Now, we don't do that, right? None of us have that tendency to want to define something, have God define it for us so that we can stay, so we can get as close to the boundary without going over, right? None of us do that. Well, this guy does that. He wants a definition. He wants to have it defined. And so he says, who is my neighbor? Now, in his mind, a Jewish mind, he would have thought of his neighbor as somebody who looked like him, somebody who was from the Jewish nation, somebody who was a friend of God, somebody who was a friend of the Jews, some, somebody who came from, you know, the right family, that sort of thing. Like, that's who your neighbor is. And so he's like, so is it the guy who lives next to me? Is that my neighbor? Is it somebody with the same last name that I have? Is that my neighbor? Somebody who's nice to me? Who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? How, who exactly am I supposed to love as myself? He wants to define it and take it down small. Which leads Jesus to tell the story of the Good Samaritan that we read to begin with. And so Jesus begins telling him the story about a man who goes down on the road of Jericho and he falls among robbers. And he says that this man who fell among robbers was beaten and, and stripped naked and left to die on the side of the road. That's not a fun day, is it? Like they even steal his clothes. They steal his clothes because lots of times in that culture your clothes was like one of the most expensive things you owned. So they were worth quite a bit of money. So they take everything this guy has. Like, he has nothing left. All he has is a few breaths left. Like, if no one helps him, he's going to die right there in the ditch. He's hopeless and helpless. And so Jesus says, there's a priest that comes by. The priest is a, one of the wealthier people in Israel. He's one of the more respected people in Israel. So he's coming from Jerusalem. That means he's coming from the temple. He's just been cleaned up. He's been ritually cleaned uh, in that culture or in, in the, the Jewish people's culture and God's law to them. They were to go and be cleaned at the temple, to be cleansed of any sin. And so they'd have to go spend money and, and go through sacrifices. I, I mean, it's like a two-week process. He finally gets cleaned up and he goes home. And on his way to Jericho, he sees this guy and he thinks, if I go over there and touch him or get close to him, I'm unclean. I've got to go back and start all over. Plus, I don't have time. I don't have money. You know what? I think I'm just going to keep on going. In fact, I'm going to go on the other side of the road. I'm going to stay far enough away from him that no, he doesn't even think help is coming from me. Like, I don't want him to get any wrong ideas. I'm going to stay over here, let him stay over there, and I'm going to walk down the road. Jesus says that, that this man passes him by, and then he says that a Levite comes. A Levite would have been a helper to the priests. They're not quite as wealthy, not quite as well-to-do. Uh, they wouldn't have had resources like the priests have, but he comes by and he sees them and he says, I'm going to go on the other side. I don't, I don't need to help that guy. I don't need to get you know, entangled in this. I'm, he may have deserved it for all. I know he probably mouthed off to the wrong guy. You can just imagine the different things that go through his mind. He keeps going. And Jesus says, but then a Samaritan came. Now, to understand the, the full weight of this, you've got to understand how much the Jewish people hated the Samaritans and how much the Samaritans hated the Jews. Like, they did not like each other. We know this. If you've been in church, you know that the Samaritans and Jews, like, they don't hang out. They, they don't contact one another. The, the Jewish people, there's prayers recorded where they would literally pray for God to send them to hell. Pray for the Samaritans to go to hell. God, don't save them. Don't forgive them. Don't show them mercy or grace. Let them face the full weight of their crimes. Like that was their attitude towards the Samaritans. Then 
Well, and the Samaritans weren't much better towards the Jews. Remember, it was just the passage before this where we saw Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they wouldn't let him stay in their town because he was going to Jerusalem instead of staying with them. And then remember, James and John want fire to come down from heaven and roast them and all those sorts of things. So they're not friendly by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus says a priest and the Levite go by and they don't help this guy. But then a Samaritan comes and he sees this man and he has compassion. He has a deep desire to enter into this man's pain and do something about it. And so he stops. He gets off of his, his animal, whatever it was that he was riding, goes over, looks at him, and he dresses his wounds. He, he does what he can. He, he applies first aid there on the side of the road, the side of the road where this dude's done been beat within an inch of his life. He, he takes care of him as best as he can. And he puts him on his animal. So he goes out of his way. He takes his time. He inconveniences himself because he no longer has a ride. This guy gets the ride. And he walks the rest of the way into town. When he gets to town, he uh, gets him a room. And he even stays the night with this guy to kind of help him and take care of him. And then the next day, before he heads out, he says, Hey, here's two denarii. This should take care of his expenses. But if there's anything else, put it on my tab and I'll pay it when I come back through. This is a big deal because in that culture... If you owe somebody money and you can't pay it, you end up a slave. You don't end up free. Like, you end up a slave. There's nothing else you can do. You're, you're a slave until you can pay off that debt. So this man's actually saving this man not only from death, but also from slavery. Like, he, he's doing everything he can to help him. So then he goes ahead and goes about his business and, and leaves. And so Jesus looks at this lawyer, this expert in the law, this Jewish man, and he says, so who's a good neighbor? Who took care of this man who fell among the robbers? And the guy's response, he, he hates Samaritan so much he can't say the word Samaritan. So he says, I guess the guy who took care of him. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. Go be like the Samaritan. Imagine how angry this guy had to be. Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, go act like that Samaritan. Go act like this guy that you hate. Go and do what he did. Learn from his Example, go and be a good neighbor. Go and take care of people. You see, because what Jesus is doing here, he's saying you need to quit asking who your neighbor is and start asking who you can be a neighbor to. I, I joked about State Farm, but it's true, right? We should be good neighbors. Like Christians are there. Whatever people are facing, we ought to be there. We ought to be good neighbors. We ought to be ministering to people, following Jesus, being a disciple is about serving others without any worry about who they are. We're never told who this guy who's laying on the side of the road is. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that he's in need. God calls us to love people as ourselves. To love your neighbor as yourself, is, is according to Jesus here, is to love the people in your life that need help. So be a good neighbor. Go and do likewise. But before you do, finish the text. Look at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and that will not be taken from her. Martha, Martha, you are so worried about so many different things going on around you, and you're missing it. 
Mary has gotten the one thing that matters. She's sitting here soaking up the teaching of Jesus while Martha is running around being a good neighbor. Doing what Jesus has actually commanded them to do, to take care of others, minister to others. Mary's doing it. But she's missing it at the same time. She goes and she says, Jesus, don't you see Mary just sitting over there while I'm working myself to death? Make her help me. And Jesus says, yeah, I understand that, Martha, but Mary has chosen what actually matters, which is me. See, guys, the point here is that serving Jesus is no substitute for Jesus. Having a relationship with him is the most important aspect of following him. Remember, focusing on Jesus is what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we come to a passage like the, the Good Samaritan and we come away thinking, okay, I'm supposed to go out and serve people. Well, you are. But because of the love that God has shown you, you show that love to the people in your life. For some reason, we tend to go to one side or the other. Either we're folks who are all about serving and doing and helping, but we're not so much about studying and praying and worshiping and singing and all that stuff. Or we're all about studying the Bible and knowing the Bible and knowing the Word of God, but we're not so much about serving others. Guys, it is both. Serving God, loving God leads us to loving other people. If it does not lead us to loving other people, we're doing it wrong. The love we have for God should guide us and direct us to a place where we love the people in our life, where we show the love of Christ to the people around us. But we should never try to substitute that service for our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's what will happen. We'll hear a passage like this, and we'll leave out of here feeling all guilty, and, man, I need to help people. And you should. You should help people, and you should feel guilty if you're not helping people. Don't hear me saying you're not. But we'll stop, and we'll uh, stop at the stoplight down there, and we'll give someone $5 and be like, man, $5 closer to heaven. God loves me a little more now. Or we'll study all week, prepare a Sunday school lesson and teach it and think, hmm, one Sunday school lesson closer to heaven. God loves me a little more. We'll see somebody with a flat tire, we'll stop and we'll help them change that flat tire and we'll think, oh, one flat tire closer to God loving me. No. We do those things because he does love us and we want to show that love to the people around us. That's where this guy was wrong. He thought, I can do something to make God love me. And he can't. You can't. We can't earn his love. His love is free. His love is just simply given to us based on what Christ has done. It's not about us earning it. It's about us receiving it and then showing it. And so if we read just a part of this text, we'll read the passage about Martha and Mary and think, oh, well, I don't need to do nothing as long as I'm studying the Word. No. Or we'll read the passage about the, the Good Samaritan. We'll say, oh, I don't need to study anything as long as I'm serving others. You've got to do both. The ones who follow Christ will be following Him because they love Him and they will be loving other people because they love Him and He loves them. It is a both and. It's not either or. We have to be careful as a church and as believers that we don't try to put these two things in separate categories because they're not. One leads to the other. Your love for God will lead to you loving other people or you're not doing it right. It will lead to an outward expression of His love in your life. Or you're not really loving Him the way that He's called you to. You're missing something. And so when we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, 
we will be led to love the people around us. And so my question for you this morning is this. Who are you loving? And who are you saying, I'm going to go on the other side because I ain't got time for them today. I don't have time to deal with them. I, I mean, this might cost me some money. This might put me in danger. The Samaritan that stopped and helped this man on the road, he put himself in danger. He put himself out financially. He put himself out uh, uh, time-wise. Like, he, it cost him a lot to serve this man. Jesus says, go and do likewise. We look at that and we're like, well, you know, Jesus don't want us to put ourselves in danger. Okay, tell that to Jesus. We try and categorize this and define it so that it doesn't mean anything. The truth is, is we're called to love the people in our life. Whether it works out better for us or not. We're called to serve each other. We're called to serve the people that God puts in front of us and love them. Why? Because he loved us when no one else did. He cared for us and came for us when no one else did. Guys, if we read this passage and we come away thinking we're the Good Samaritan, we've, we've sort of missed it, right? I mean, it, if anybody reads this this morning and says, yep, that's me, that's what I do every day, I think you missed it. No one loves like this all the time. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But we miss the mark. Jesus, in his great love and grace towards us, has come and, and picked us up naked and bleeding out of the ditch and put, it, put us on the animal and took us home. He, he has come and he has paid our penalty, our price on the cross, so that we can spend eternity with him. Not because we deserve it, but because he loved us. He loved us enough to die in our place. And if you've never believed on him, you've never put your faith in him, why would you not put your faith in him today? He says, come. Don't, don't wait till you get cleaned up. Don't wait till you get smart enough. Don't wait until you can earn it, because you can't. Just come. And if you're here and you're a believer and you're not serving, you're not loving, you're not doing, would you ask the Lord to show you that this morning? If you would, uh, we're going to sing uh, here in just a minute, and so I'd ask you guys to stand, and as you stand and as... Uh, the musicians come up. I just want to ask you, ask the Lord this morning, God, where, where am I passing by on the other side when I should be going to people in struggles, people who are hurting, people who are, uh, uh, need love? Ask yourself this morning, when's the last time you showed the love of Christ to someone in your life? Where, where are you making excuses? Ask Him to give you the, the grace and the compassion that this man had for the people in your life. Ask him, uh, ask him to show to you where you're distracted, where you're focusing on everything in the world but what you need to be focusing on, which is him. And get, Ask him to give you the grace and the strength to turn from those things and put your faith and your trust back in him, understanding that he who's in you is greater than he's in the world. You have nothing to worry about. Simply trust in him. Simply believe on him. Ask him those things and ask him to help you. If you've never trusted on him, then, then come and trust on him. Come and believe on him. Come and pray for our church that we would be people like this good Samaritan, that we would be people who show this love to the people in our community, in our, in our neighborhoods, that we'd be known as a, a church of, uh, full of folks who love God so much they can't help but love the people around them. Uh, so uh, come as we sing. Oh, soul, are you?